Thanks to Zapier for supporting The Motley Fool. Zapier is the easiest way to automate your work. It connects all your business software and handles work for you so you can focus on the things that matter most. Try Zapier free by going to our special link, zapier.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, September 26th. We're talking about energy markets and the legacy of T. Boone Pickens. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined by Molly Fool contributor Jason Hall via Skype. How's it going, Jason? It's very, very good. Um, uh, in addition to my usual stuff for The Fool, I've, um, I've spent the past couple months helping out with Million Acres. I know you've heard of and probably some of the other regular uh, listeners to some of the other industry-focused podcasts have probably heard about it too. I've been, I've been working on reviewing all of these crowdfunding real estate websites, and there's a ton of them out there. And uh, it's been a lot of fun kind of adding something a little bit different to, uh, to my workflow. Yeah, it's a real estate's interesting market uh, to invest in. A lot of interesting opportunities out there. You, you talked about the crowdfunding stuff. That, that's something that really has only opened up in the past couple years with the Jobs Act and that sort of thing. So, really, an interesting right. space uh, for investors uh, to, to get exposed to if they're interested in it. Um, what we're going to talk about today, though, is oil markets. That's that's where you spent most of your time time with the fool uh, paying attention to. And we're going to talk about T Boone Pickens, uh, as I'm sure you know, a lot of our listeners are familiar with. Uh, a little over two weeks ago. Uh, you know, T. Boone Pickens, billionaire energy executive, entrepreneur, also avid college football fan like Jason and I, uh, uh, passed away on September 11th. Jason, before before he passed, I think a few years ago, you had the chance to go out and meet him. What kind of was that experience like, and what can you, you tell for our listeners about you know, T. Boone as a person and, and his contributions to the industry? Yeah, interesting story. Um, some of you may have, have read some of the things I've written about Pickens in the past, um, but I, I, I got the opportunity to meet Pickens uh Basically, by making him mad, um, I wrote an article. I think it was twenty late twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen, and the headline of the article, to paraphrase, was "Boone Pickens is dangerous for American energy companies." Uh, Pickens was a voracious consumer of news, um, and particularly anything that had his name in it. He wanted to see what was being said, why it was being said, and um, super media savvy guy. Um, I got a private message from him on Twitter. Um, it was a little surprising, a little intimidating. Um, I, you know, I expected the guy was going to tear me apart. You know, like a day later we had a phone conversation and he was one of the most gregarious, um, just easy to talk to people you could ever meet. And that led to a face-to-face meeting. I flew to Dallas and, um, spent a day in his, in his hedge fund, met him for breakfast beforehand. And, um, really, really just a really, really interesting character. And, um, ended up going out to his ranch with a couple of editors from the Motley Fool. And we did a, a long form, like an hour video interview, uh, conversation with him. And uh, it was really, really interesting to get the insight of seeing someone that successful for that long, um, kind of get a feel for what, what makes them tick? It was uh, it was a lot of fun. It really was. Yeah, and, and he's a guy just to you know give a little bit of his his bio is really kind of come from very humble origins. Born in 1928 in Holdenville, Oklahoma. Grew up in Amarillo, Texas. You know, he's got a, a great story. I where they talked about you know after his first year of college, he came home to his parents and he, they said you know he wasn't doing that well in school. And they said, hey, a fool with a plan can outsmart a genius without one every time. Your mother and I are afraid our son is the fool without a plan. 
that's not what you what you think of of a guy who goes on to become a billionaire, but then he went on uh, to what became Oklahoma State University, got a degree in geology, went out into the oil fields as a roughneck, worked in refineries, did that sort of thing, and then in 1957 founded Mesa Petroleum, uh, which would grow to become one of the largest, most important independent oil and gas businesses. Started out like a lot of oil guys do, selling prospects, a wildcat driller, and, and then grew on from there. But where his fame really began to grow was starting the late 1960s and moving over the next couple decades through acquisitions and hostile takeovers. Can you talk a little bit, Jason, about kind of his approach to those and kind of how he made his, became famous as a, a little bit of a corporate raider? Yeah, I think I think this is probably his his most important legacy that 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 almost nobody really knows about um, anymore, especially younger generations, because this is you know forty years ago um, that that he you know thirty five forty years ago that he really started establishing this legacy. Um, one of the things that um, he found uh, that he really had issue with was that um, at the time. Uh, management and 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 these other independent oil companies, uh, they 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 essentially acted like they owned the company, even though most of them had very little, if any, actual stake in in, in shares in the company. Um, he he tells a tells a famous story um, about a conversation he had with um, it was a board member uh, who was a was a large uh, shareholder of of one of these companies. Um, when Pickens approached him about establishing a dividend and essentially the, the guy's response was why in the blank would we want to give a bunch of money to people we don't even know? Mm -hmm. Um, and that was, I mean, I think that was just kind of the general underlying, um, idea back then, uh, from boards and then within management, they, they had, you know, substantial salaries and, and cash benefits, but they had very little stake to the company itself. Um, and Pickens was a real, he was an early leader. I think he, he founded, uh, was it the United Shareholder Association? I think, is that yes. what, it, what it's yes. called? Um, that, that essentially pushed for um, more accountability um, and also pushed for managements to have more aligned interests, including ownership uh, of stock of the companies that they were running on behalf of the actual owners, uh, you and me, the shareholders, uh, versus pretending they were owners of companies that the assets were owned by, by others. Um, so that that was a big that was a big thing that that he was involved in, um, and part of it because it was was his his uh, his. He was kind of like the early activist investor, right? He was he was a corporate raider, uh, is, what, is is what he was generally called, uh, because he led some pretty serious buyouts of companies that were much larger than his Mesa uh, was at the time, and he was, you know, pretty pretty successful in uh, in doing that. Um, uh, there's a there's a flip side. There's the, the other side of that coin is that um, he's, he's he was also accused of of at times kind of front running a little bit mm-hmm. where he or his associates would take, take a stake in a company. And then they'd let rumors float out that the Pickens was going to, was going to come in and he was going to, he's going to swoop in and, and, and buy him out and share price would shoot up and uh, they just sell and take the profit, even though there was never really any serious intent to buy the company. So, um, you know, those are, those are allegations. There was never any, any, you know, you know, he was never 
taken to trial or anything like that for doing anything illegal. Uh, but there was a lot of rumor that you know he used that as, a, as just a way to make a make make a quick buck on his reputation. Right, and, that, well, and that's one of those that just goes to to even have that opportunity. You have to have a, a strong reputation of creating that yep. value, and uh, you know that, that that's something that he had a strong history of. Um, over time, built a reputation. I mean, today, you know, activist shareholding is you know something that's come to be expected. We see that we see these stakes taken all the time, and we see yep. management be. I mean, even with small stakes today, uh, very responsive to activist uh, pressure. Whereas in the past, you know, I, I read one story about Pickens was was in, taking an activist stake in, in a Japanese firm, owned twenty six percent of the stock, and couldn't get them to put him on the board. How quickly things have changed uh, over the past yep. couple of decades. Uh, you know, the, just the responsiveness to, to shareholder pressure. Uh, yeah, you hear names up. like Carl Icahn. Mm-hmm. You know, those are these are household names for investors today. Very well known, popular, uh, considered activist investors. There, you know, there's dozens of them now. Yep. And then, uh, so he stuck with Mesa for for most of his career. Then in 1996, uh, he was forced out of the company, formed his own independent uh, investment firm, BP Capital, Boone Pickens. Capital, which became one of the the most successful hedge funds, focusing on oil, oil and gas commodities and energy dependent equities. He described this transition as halftime in his life, and he also, in that time, uh, moved to to make some significant investments in American energy independence, natural gas, and wind energy, which, which we'll talk a little bit about on the back half of the show. And in 2006, formed the T Boone's Pickens Foundation, uh, where he donated you know billions of dollars to charity, which we will talk about a little bit about on the back half of the show. But first. When you're running your own businesses, your to-do list is never-ending. The solution is to automate tasks, and that's where Zapier comes in. Zapier is built to automate your work. It connects all your business software and handles work for you so you can focus on the things that matter most. Go to zapier.com fool, connect the apps you use, and let Zapier take it from there in minutes. As one of our uh, fools has noted, there are so many apps that we use every day from Slack, Trello, Google Docs, Zendesk, Zoom, Evernote, and more, it's just very difficult to keep track. But what Zapier does is it helps zap from one app to another. You can star a message on Slack, and it will create a Trello card right there for you. Makes it easy for all those apps to work together. So right now, through November, you can try Zapier free by going to zapier.com fool. Once again, that's Z-A-P-I-E-R dot fool for your free 14-day trial. Once again, that's zapier.com fool. So as Jason and I, and I had mentioned, uh, T Boone Pickens had had a significant reputation as a corporate raider and a, as moving into acquisitions. But later in his life, he really started to to ramp up his philanthropic impact in 2010 when Warren Buffett and Bill Gates went public with their giving pledge. Uh, T Boone Pickens had already signed on to that before he passed away. Had given away most of, of his uh, or significant portion of his wealth. Had some several record-setting donations. He gave a $165 million gift to Oklahoma State University as alma mater in 2005, which is the single largest gift for, for athletics in NCAA history. Also has the largest donation to the American Red Cross uh, in the history of that organization. When, when you look at the philanthropic legacy of T. Boone, what, what kind of stands out to you, uh, Jason? So I think the the obvious one that people see is you know Oklahoma State University's football stadium is called. Uh, Boone Pickens Stadium. Uh, so people immediately say, okay, this is just a big booster who threw a ton of money at their football program. And that's, that's it's true he did, but that's not all he did. You know, about half the money he gave, and I think he gave like close to $700 million yep. to uh, Oklahoma State. Um, uh, more than half of that went to academic um, uh, causes. So 
that's that's huge. I mean, this is someone that, who had a college education that he directly benefited from. He understood the value of that. Um, a lot of the money that he has given uh, pays for scholarships for uh, underprivileged uh, kids to be able to afford to go to college. So he, again, this is somebody who came from humble roots. He gets the idea of a leg up versus a handout. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think, I think he kind of lived that in the way that he gave his money um, in those causes. Uh, one of my other, you know, kind of favorite things that I ad- admire about, uh, about Pickens is that uh, tons of, tons of very wealthy people have signed the giving pledge and, you know, haven't given a single dime. Mm-hmm. And they say that when they die, they will. Uh, Pickens had given away probably more than twice what his net wealth, his net worth was when he died. Um, he, he gave away a tremendous uh, amount of money while he was alive. And he made it clear, he's, he's, you know, if I'm dead, I'm not really going to be able to see what my money did. And he enjoyed seeing people benefit from the, the gifts that he, that he gave. Uh, you know, one of uh, his kind of famous boonerisms was, you know, uh, his two favorite things were to make money and give it away. And he, li- I mean, he lived that. He really, he really did. So, you know, I think that's something very, very admirable. Yeah, particularly, you know, when you you look at someone who who achieved that level of wealth, the philanth- the philanthropic gifts that that come from that wealth are, are something that really can pay dividends to folks. You know, on and on and on. In addition to, uh, you know, your lifetime, which is really significant impact on folks. Another significant impact that that Boone Pickens has had is his advocacy for wind energy in the U.S. and for U.S. In, uh, energy independence. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the efforts that he made there to advance those causes? Yeah, the you know if, I think history is going to always look back on Pickens as the wildcatter, the oil baron, um, and that's fair. That's where he made the vast majority of his wealth. You know, that's what he spent the vast majority of the six decades he was in the energy industry involved in. Uh, but when we got into the you know. 2006, 2007 time period, you know, there was a lot of talk of peak oil. Uh, you know, we, at that point we hadn't really, uh, developed the technologies to really access shale, uh, cost effectively and, uh, imported oil was steadily becoming a bigger and bigger portion of U S energy needs. Um, Pickens, uh, founded, uh, so they, they kicked off something called the Pickens Plan. I think it was in 2008. Uh, and its main goal was for the United States to be truly energy independent um, and mainly to free it from its heavy dependence on oil from OPEC, um, led by Saudi Arabia. He, he, he never considered Saudi Arabia to really be a true ally for the United States. Um, you know, essentially... Um, we got the oil and they got our military defense and, you know, billions and billions and billions of U.S. dollars to, that were paid to export or to import that oil into the U.S. Uh, so he, he saw the value in the Midwestern corridor of the United States in terms of wind. It's been commonly called the Saudi Arabia of wind. We have enormous, very productive wind resources in the Midwestern United States. Uh, the irony here is... Um, you know, Pickens, as was typical for him, he didn't just talk it. He, 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 he backed it and he, he would tell anybody that would listen to him that he lost, you know, uh, he lost his, you know, you know what <laughs> on his, uh, on his bets on wind energy. And he's, he says he lost about $200 million, which is a substantial amount of money. Um, 
but then he would just as quickly tell you he wasn't wrong. He was just early. And if you if you look at at the at the what's happened in in wind energy, not just in the U.S. but around the world, looking in in Japan and Europe uh, and other places, wind energy has been you know over the past decade the fastest growing source of alternative energy, um, taking share primarily away from coal, um, which is fantastic. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. It's cleaner. Uh, it's domestically produced. Uh, it's the jobs in that industry are, are technically skilled jobs that pay, that pay a lot of money. So there's a lot of things to like about it. Um, Pickens just, he didn't make any money in it, uh, but he was a huge advocate for it. Uh, over the past probably six or seven years, you saw, um, his advocacy evolve a little bit to also, uh, include natural gas, um, and something he had been involved in for a long time, uh, and in particular as a transportation fuel, um, one of the byproducts of, of shale uh, fracking is a tremendous amount of natural gas reserves that um, we've been able to access in the U.S. You know, a, a decade ago, there was real concern that we would have to start importing natural gas at very, very high expense, uh, but that's no longer uh, even <laughs> remotely on the radar. Um, but natural gas, the idea uh, for transportation is it's substantially cleaner than gasoline and diesel in terms of um, uh, carbon emissions. It doesn't have the particulates that cause acid rain, that cause respiratory uh, problems, uh, especially in urban areas. Um, so there's, there's a lot to like about it. Uh, a company he founded in the late 90s, Clean Energy Fuels, um, has, has kind of emerged over the past few years as, 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 as a really viable leader in alternative fuels, um, not just with traditional, you know, drilling a hole and pulling methane out of the ground, but also biomethane, which it sells as a brand called Redeem. And biomethane, it comes from landfills, comes from uh, cattle farming, dairy farming. Um, essentially, they're capturing this methane that's a really, really powerful uh, greenhouse gas if we just let it come out of these sites as it, as it would by using it as a transportation fuel. It's, I think it reduces the, the environmental impact like 70 or 80% versus using diesel in those same vehicles. And it's cheaper too. So, so there's, this is another part of his, his legacy that, you know, he was an early advocate for. Um, so, the, you know, I think, I think it'll, it'll, it'll probably go under the radar because, you know, his, his, he's such a dominant figure in, you know, the U S oil and gas industry, that his advocacy for renewable, cleaner, domestic things, I don't think it's going to have as big of a public legacy, but I think, you know, behind his shareholder advocacy, this, this could be by far the most important thing that he put his money and his energy into when we look back in 10 or 20 years. Yeah, I, th I think on on both of these trends, uh, it seems to be that, that he was kind of I don't know if he's like he said he's not wrong. He's early. He's kind of early to to the progression yeah. towards these 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 types of fuels. And as we've seen, natural gas become a more and more important part of, of our energy mix. I think that's only going to continue going forward. One area, other area where, where Mesa seemed to be kind of on the on the forefront, their their fitness program became became kind of a model for corporate America. T Boone was it was a little kind of famous for his active lifestyle. I think you had a note. About when you when you had met him, you even saw him engaging in some of that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, he he um, he he 
you know, up into his late eighties, he, he day, had daily activity, uh, you know, fortunately, be, fortunate because of his wealth, he was able to afford a personal trainer that went wherever he was. And I, I saw him with my own eyes, you know, 86, 87 years old, wearing a 40 pound weighted vest, doing squats and lunges for you know, 20 minutes doing his reps and then drop the vest and hop on the treadmill for a half an hour. Um, it, I, it, you know, it was a little intimidating. It's like, okay, I, I, I kind of, I get, I get the point Boone. I need to step up my game a little bit, but he was active his entire life. He was a short man. He was only maybe five, eight or five, nine. Uh, when I met him, I'm sure he was you know, a little bit taller when he was younger. Uh, but he played basketball. He had a small basketball scholarship, um, uh, <laughs> as part of his, to help, you know, pay for part of his college. So this was somebody who was athletic and who stayed physically active his entire life. I have no doubt that a big, that that played a big role on him being able to live the active lifestyle. And I, when I met him, he was still flying, uh, in his, you know, in his, in his corporate, his private jet, he would fly every week. He would go somewhere for a speech or if clean energy was opening a, a fueling station, he would always go there for the ribbon cutting of the fueling station. He was incredibly, incredibly physically active. Um, and he, that's why he was able to be so active for so long into his life. So I think that's a model that is a reminder that, you know, wealth is great and investing for a profit is fantastic. But if you don't take care of your physical form, uh, it's kind of hard to enjoy it. Yeah, he had some line where he said, you know, I, I want to feel good for my entire life and I'm going to do the things that, that I need to do that. I think one of my favorite stories that I read about when I was preparing for this uh, for this podcast talked about his, you know, uh, his favorite golf story. The last round of golf he ever played, August uh, April 18th, 2007. He was a member of Augusta National, played there about 100 times uh, uh, during his career. But uh, in that particular golf game, uh, he eagled number 11, number 11 at Augusta. Uh, came, came, went and told Arnold Palmer about that, asked him if he'd ever eagled number 11 on Augusta. He said he hadn't, and then he called it a day for his golfing career after that one, said, hey, we're never going to get up, never going to do any better than that uh, uh, going forward, which is so relatable to me. As someone who, is, who really struggles at golf, and just whenever I get a good shot, I just want to cherish that in me. In me. I, that's something that is, is so relatable uh, 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 to me. Last thing before, before we move on uh, uh, to a different topic, you know, when you – Think about T Boone Pickens and kind of the impact he had on investing and oil markets. You know, for, for folks who aren't, aren't familiar with him, what do you think will be you know one lesson from his life that, that you will you know take moving forward that you will incorporate into kind of what what you do? So it's kind of threefold for me. You know, his his famous quote, you know, a fool with a plan can be a genius without a plan any day. It's so true. If if you're just if you're just kind of casting about without a real plan or strategy your success is going to be entirely based on luck. And if you have a real plan that you stick to and that you, and that you evolve that plan as, 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 as reality dictates you need to, your chances of being successful are going to be far, far greater. They really, really are. And his tenacity, you know, this is, this is a man that, you know, he was so successful at Mesa for what he did. And then he got forced out of his own company. Um, and he started all over and he made billions after that. So this is someone who knew what failure looked like and still put his plan together, worked his plan and, and, and made it success. So I think that's, I mean, that's his legacy for me and something that anybody of any walk of life can, can use as a model to be more successful. 
So just one, one other thing I wanted wanted to ask you about, you know, I, I, we talked a little bit about some of the the controversy surrounding surrounding Pickens from you know, the corporate raider reputation and, and being an activist investor, you know, allegations of front running, those sorts of things. There, there's also been some controversy around him when it came to some of his political positions and, and, and those sorts of things. You know, how should we think about about that when we when we look at T Boone's model, uh, you know, as someone to look to as an example? And how do you think about that? Just Looking at his legacy, so you know there's a, there's a few things here, um, and n- number one, it's it's a reminder that we we're all human, right? We all are we're whole people, and Pickens is, was uh, certainly no exception to that. It was incredibly controversial, uh, very conservative, and he was involved in some things that, uh, frankly, I think are kind of black marks. He was he was very heavily involved in the Swift Boaters for Truth. Uh, which essentially were some slurs uh, against John Kerry's uh, during his presidential campaign uh, against his military record, which essentially came out as being uh, unfounded uh, stories. And Pickens, I mean, he honestly, he kind of went to his grave never really owning up to being wrong on that. Um, he, he, he backed um, uh, President uh, Donald Trump, which some people, you know, Certainly don't don't. I mean, again, another very controversial person. So that's a very binary reaction to that, depending on, you know, your support for for President Trump. Um, so I think it's the, the the big point is that it's really easy when we when we start reading about people, learning about people, to especially in today's highly politicized environment, to find that somebody believed a certain political thing and consider just dismissing everything else about them, right, and and, and paint them into either the good or evil camp. And I think that's a big mistake to do that with with somebody like Pickens, who was so incredibly successful, um, because there are always always things that that you can learn um, from someone else's success and from their failures to try to apply to your own life to uh, to, to to do better, right? And and whatever it may be. And I think for me, I, I vehemently disagree with with Pickens on a lot of his political positions. Um, so I think you know I think I think the takeaway there is that. Despite those things, he's someone that I still had tremendous respect for. He had a profound impact on me as an investor and as someone who understands and, and analyzes the energy industry. Um, and that's far more important to me than any disagreements I had over him from a political perspective. Right, and if you ever find someone you could ble- agree with completely, it's hard. That, it's hard to learn from someone <laughs> from someone and- like that either. You're probably you're probably falling into a trap, right? I think as an investor, one of the first things I do when I fall in love with a company is I immediately find everything I can from people that disagree, right? Yep. Because you'll always be able to find a reason why you're going to be right. When you start looking for the reasons that you could be wrong, that's when you start learning and you start avoiding making big mistakes that you could have maybe avoided. Yeah, so, so that's a, a, of particular value, I, I think, for folks and for anybody, you know, with a success like Pickens has had, who has come from humble backgrounds to to extreme success. There are lessons to be learned, you know, for everyone. And you know, you're not going to agree on 100 percent of things with anybody, but we can learn from just about anyone. Um, one other story I, I did want to—I'd be remiss if we didn't spend a minute or two talking about—is the recent attacks on Saudi Arabia's oil infrastructure. And what it means for investors, you know, when the story first came out, you know, we had expected to see five percent of global production be offline for an indeterminate period of time. But then, very quickly thereafter, we we heard from Saudi Arabia's oil ministers that you know it's not going to be as significant of an impact as expected. So, just so far from the news we've seen available, what's been your reaction? How should folks be thinking about this this Saudi Arabia attack? 
Yeah. So you go back a week and a half ago, you know, two, it'll be two weeks ago, I guess this weekend, this was gigantic, right? And the mm-hmm. potential implications were huge. I think something like 5% of the world's oil supplies were paused. Somebody just pressed the pause button on this massive supply of oil when uh, Saudi Aramco had to shut down this facility and another an oil, a major oil, like this, the largest oil processing facility in the world and, and had to shut down one of their major uh, uh, oil production facilities. Um, oil shot up like 15% that, that Monday after the attack. It's the, it's like one of the biggest single day oil price spikes ever. And I mean, <laughs> let's, let's give some context. Oil, oil going up 15% one day, that's like the entire stock market going up 30% in one day. It's, yep giant it's huge it's a, just a giant number um but but i kept i kept tempering my like where i was looking at it with you know sure there's this risk that it's going to be a protracted outage of a massive portion of global sl- supplies and the other part of it too is that you can't just take you know oil from uh you know light sweet oil from from texas and stick it in a refinery that that's been running sour crude from from a Saudi oil field because the different formulations, the different, the, the, the chemical compositions of the oil affects where uh, the refinery. So, th- so those are implications that were kind of deeper that, that the market was looking at. Uh, but at any rate, I, the thing that I kept tempering my, my like concerns about this is, is Saudi Arabia's entire economy runs on oil. Yeah. They've, they've made investments to grow other, other parts of it, but oil pays the bills. And you can't expect that Saudi Arabia wouldn't throw every resource it had at getting production back online, getting the oil flowing back through that facility. And essentially, that's what's happened, right? I mean, two, two weeks removed, and that, that facility is very close to being back at producing the same level of oil that it was, that it was handling before the attacks. Uh, there's still work to do. Um, but as a result, oil prices have fallen about 7% from the peak that Monday after the attacks are still up about four to 6%. But today, um, the, as of, as of this recording, they're, they're down again, about 1%. And, um, yeah, West Texas crude has fallen, uh, far more than Brent crude, um, which I mean, that's what the market realizes is that this wasn't necessarily this big, this big boon, um, pardon the pun there, but this wasn't this a big a big gain for shale producers to all of a sudden cash in and sell a whole bunch more oil at fifteen percent higher prices. So it's just it's a reminder that you know if you if you want to invest in, in in any oil or gas company, you need to understand the fundamentals of that business. You know what's their cash even break point? How much are they having to spend in capital to grow or maintain their production? Because that's cash flows that they can't return to you as, as dividends. Um, so you, it's just, just a reminder that, you know, don't, don't buy on the uncertainty of, of something that you don't have the information to really make an informed long-term decision on. Yeah. And an interesting context coming, coming out of that, you know, those attacks is that, you know, folks were saying, Hey, shale's going to ramp up, but listen, there's already takeaway constraints. We're already taking away yeah. as much as we can away from the Permian and, and these places. So even if you wanted to bring shale online, there's just not enough takeaway capacity to, to, to really bring it to market. Um, that's true. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be six months before there's really much additional capacity for what's, I mean, there's already wells that are ready to produce that, that they can't bring online because there's, like you said, there's no takeaway capacity. Yeah. 
Did, did it surprise you, kind of the relative ease with which this attack took place? Does that merit kind of us pricing in a little bit more risk for, for these sorts of, of things moving forward? Um, honestly, I'm not, I, 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 I'm, I can't consider myself enough of an expert on <laughs> military tactics or that, that sort of thing to really, to really give a, an informed opinion about it. Um, it is a little surprising that, that something like this was, was it, it's a little surprising, um, but it's not stunning because, you know, Iran and Saudi Arabia are mortal enemies. And, yep. and, and so that, I mean, from that perspective, it's not surprising, but it's also not surprising that the Saudis were able to get production back up as quickly as they did, because it's so important. It's, I don't think you can overstate how important to that country it is to get that production back online. Yes. In particular, one, one last thing we'll mention on this is Saudi Arabia has been preparing to IPO its Aramco state-owned oil company. There had been some rumors that it's going to be delayed, but they're going to be pushing forward with that You know, in the context of you know this recent supply disruption and what it means, this IPO means for the country. Any, any kind of high-level thoughts on that Aramco IPO and what we should be paying attention to there? Yeah. Uh, first thing, it's uh, I think they're still seeking a $2 trillion valuation. Um, and you know, there's lots of camps, you know, that's crazy. And that's, if you ask any executive, any oil company in the world, would you spend $2 trillion to buy access to all the oil in Saudi Arabia? They would say yes, before you even finished asking the question, of course it's worth that. But then you start attaching hooks to it. 90% of it's still going to be owned it's a state control company, right? And the reality is that I think investors need to understand that your interest as a shareholder will never be aligned with the majority shareholder. And that creates, that creates risk. I mean, I think this could, you know, there could be a nice potential for a, for a modest uh, income stock, depending on how they structure. I think dividends is probably the only thing that would make it worthwhile, but I just, there's nothing about about it that to me looks like it should be attractive for for retail investors. I just think there's very limited upside and I think the downside risks um, are, are just are too great to uh, to make it to make it a worthwhile investment. I think it's that full stop. I think it's that simple. Yeah, it's one of those where political risk is so significant uh, with with a company like this. Uh, but from the perspective of Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, it gives them access to you know 100 billion plus in capital that they can invest in modernizing their their economy, which has been something they they have touted as something they really want to do going forward. So you, you know, it makes sense from the perspective of the country. But as an investor, I don't think it's something I'd be interested in owning shares of. Um, any last thoughts on kind of what investors should be paying attention to in the broader oil market uh, before we kind of close out the show? Yeah, you know, I think the past you know few weeks are just another reminder that it's it's very volatile. There are so many different triggers that can affect it, and if if you want to make money investing in uh, oil and gas, I think you you have to go back to looking at your your um, vertically integrated super majors, uh, um, uh, Shell, you know, rolled out Shell. I think. One that I that I, that I still like because it has levers that you know oil prices fall and that can affect its production business. It's can be it can be good for its for its um, refining refining operations. Um, I think there's still some great uh, midstream companies out there. One Oak, 
sticker stock ticker OKE that, that I still like. Uh, Kinder Morgan continues to look better and better, but they have these predictable cash flows from these long-term you know takeaway contracts, uh, these toll booth businesses as they describe them. Uh, but for me, I think it's a reminder that, uh, that that it's still it's really really worth taking a hard look at at uh, away from away from oil and gas and start really considering if you haven't. Really look at uh, you know alternative energy producers uh, like Terraform Power, Brookfield Energy Partners, um, uh, Pattern Energy, some of these other companies that that you know I think that's a lot more of the future of of energy, and uh, it's a great way to start adding some diversity that's also energy without all all of the crazy risks that kind of come along with with uh, oil and gas. Yeah, and for our listeners interested in any of those companies, we've done a number of podcasts on those in the past, and I'm sure we'll have Jason on to do more of those going forward. Uh, for our listeners who, who follow us on Instagram, I you know, hope you should check out our Smarter, Happier, and Richer contests on Instagram. If you head over to at the Motley Fool official Instagram account, look out for a photo of Foolish Swag. You can enter by answering the question correctly and tagging a friend in the comments on the post. If you win, your friend will win too. We've got 10 Foolish Caps, T-shirts, and signed Motley Fool investment guides by Tom and David Gardner as prizes. So go ahead and check that out on Instagram. Uh, like the post and give us a comment, and uh, maybe, you'll, maybe you'll have a chance to win. Jason, thanks as always for coming on the show, uh, sharing some of your personal experience with the T Boone Pickens and just the state of the, the energy markets today. Folks want to check out Million Acres and the work Jason's doing over there. Please do check that out. And uh, thanks for having on, coming on. I appreciate it. It's always uh, always fun to be on with you, Nick. Oh, uh, go go dogs! Yeah. <laughs> Roll Tide, Jason. Uh, as always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Jason Hall, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on.